0: Welcome to the inaugural episode of the East Side Show. I'm your host, Sam Santos. I'm a journalism student at Toronto Metropolitan University in Toronto, Ontario. And, you know, there's a lot I could tell you about me, but the most relevant thing today, at least, is that I like telling stories. I like identifying what a story is and um, or what an impactful and important story to me it is, at least. And turning that into... A form that's accessible and relatable to other people, and I think that's that's fun to me. That's something that's important to me, and I hope to now do that on this podcast in the future. I have quite a few different ideas, sort of in in limbo, like in this limbo state between being an idea and being in production, sort of making inquiries and stuff like that. But um, that's gonna pick up. Very soon, very soon, I hope. And I have hosted uh, podcasts in the past, uh, two of them. And so, as an audience, you're in, you're in good hands as as far as that's concerned. But the reason I've decided to step away from the previous things that I was working on and sort of rebrand, sort of pivot, is there's there's issues that I didn't realize were issues until I started, you know, going to school to journalism school and. You know, hearing in all these lectures about the importance of uh, research and accountability and basically, in in simple terms, basically standing on business, you know, not making shit up, meaning what you say, you know, standing behind your words. Um, and that was the main problem, I think, for me before was accountability, because much like I'm doing today, but will be doing less of, still some of, but less of in the future is just talking in front of a microphone right with no scripts not a loose plan definitely a plan but that's the only sort of guiding framework for this sort of thing and that would that was the entirety basically the entirety of my previous podcast and with that um there's some you know fun organic moments that come with that but also accountability issues right because i would just be saying stuff and then i throw it online and then I kind of just leave it, right? But the thing about, you know, sports, music, anything, but especially sports, because I did talk quite a bit about sports, and I we'll I will talk some Leafs hockey today, we'll talk some baseball today, but all, all things that you could report on in some capacity, but um, definitely sports, and that is the most relevant to my argument because I experienced this personally, but things change things absolutely change all the time. And not only do things change, it's easy to make a mistake, right? Um, we'll take for example, take for example, baseball, I could say that, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had x amount of home runs in 2021, and that could be wrong. But mistakes do happen. You know, everyone is human. And that's something that news outlets understand. But it's it's just a quality control thing. And I wasn't I wasn't, taking that to the level it needed to be and i wasn't editing enough so that's another thing i'm definitely going to be addressing on this podcast um as opposed to something that was a shortcoming for me on the last one so this sort of this format that i am used to but i'm trying to maybe stray away from a little bit i'll probably do every so often i'll probably get on here every so often to talk about the sports i need to talk about if any Notable artist drop and I like the project or I didn't like the project, right? And I want to talk about it without sort of limiting myself to a script. And a script can be limiting, but it can also be freeing in the sense that, you know, there's nothing you need to worry about while you're recording because everything's written down, right? Um, For example, I I can be talking right now and just run out of things to say, which has happened before. Uh, Sometimes, you know, I get like five minutes in. And I realized I just created an awkward moment because, you know, I had a brain fart or whatever it is. And that's, first of all, that's tough to edit out. And it's tough to sort of like regroup from that and start recording again. So that's the old stuff. That's hopefully in the past. I'm going to work hard to make it so. Um, And without further ado, let's get into some Leafs hockey. So the Leafs have been sort of up and down. Um, sort of might be an understatement. They've been up and down for uh, quite a while now. Sort of an inconsistent season. And a lot of that, not all of that, but a very decent portion of that stems from the fact that Joseph Wall is injured. Now, before Joseph Wall went down with what I believe, and don't quote me on this, because I didn't look it up prior to turning the mic on, but um, I believe was a groin injury. And he's been out for quite a while, okay? Okay. Uh, I think all of December he did not play, he might have gotten injured in November, again don't call me on that, but the point is that that was their guy, because Samsonov, Ilya Samsonov has been struggling, and you know, I have no ill will towards the guy, but there has been times in the season for the Leafs where he's kind of just sold them short, it seems like a mental thing because he's made some ridiculous saves, just last night, in a game the Leafs won by the way, with Ilya Samsonov in net the whole time, Um, He made a fantastic save against the Seattle Kraken. So, like, basically highway robbery, like Carey Price style stretched across the net. Like, he, so he has shown that he is still capable of that, and that it's not as much a physical issue. Well, that might be a part of it, and I personally wouldn't know, but it seems to be, the evidence points to it being a mental issue. But last night has to be encouraging in some way. He was down in um, he was down with the Marlies. I don't I don't know if he played for the Marlies. If he did, it was only one or two games, but I don't believe he did. We did call up uh, Hildeby, Dennis Hildeby, who was a European draft pick, and the concern people had, so I'll, I'll get into Martin Jones in just a second after Hildeby, but the concern that um, the fan base had was that, you know, Wall was working out, and probably, you know, it's not a coincidence that Instead of rushing him to the NHL, even though he was good with the Marlies, uh, they kept him down there, sort of let him, you know, marinate a little bit, get used to that higher level of professional hockey, and and as opposed to like junior hockey or, or, or what have you, and uh, it's based on that, seeing success, right? Because before he got injured, he was, he was fantastic, not necessarily top three, maybe on some metrics, but... Um, not in most, but he was, by all accounts, doing, he was holding his own. He was doing a fine job. And the eye test and the stats sort of backed that up. So that's all well and good. So he gets injured. You have Martin Jones. So people, and then Sam, obviously off having his issues, right? So, uh, Hildeby. So, the concern that was widespread was that, you know, just like Wall we'll had success with not being rushed, that we were now rushing Hildeby after, you know, 11, 12 games on North American ice type of thing. And while that argument, I think, is definitely valid, I think if you're hot, you're hot. If you're playing well, you're playing well. Yes, absolutely getting rocked in your first NH, in your debut can sort of shatter your mentality and your confidence going forward for at least a little bit. Yes, valid argument. But um, I personally wouldn't have minded seeing, just at least seeing what you have in Hill to be as an NHL backstop while he was up. I can't, I don't hate the way they handled it. I really don't because it's a tough situation for all involved. It's not really fair to put blame on Ilya Samsonov. I'm sure he blames himself a little bit. And I'm, I'm sure he would be the first to admit that it's not gone well for him this season and he's really looking to improve that. But I don't hate the way they've handled it based on the limited sort of Resources they have at their direct disposal, which leads me to Martin Jones. So, Martin Jones has been a very, very pleasant surprise, very pleasant surprise, and I'm impressed with what he's done, because Martin Jones did not have a great season last season. He, we got him in the off season as a sort of organizational depth, if you will. If you know at the time, God forbid something happens to Samsonov and Wall, and you know. You don't need the whole be argument, right? You don't want to rush him. So you bring up Martin Jones and that situation did occur. Now, when Martin Jones came up, I did not know that we acquired him in the first place. I do remember him. I think I believe it was with the Sharks. I don't know how long he was with the San Jose Sharks, but I do remember him being a shark and that, you know, he was decent there and that's, that was my impression of him, but I didn't realize that he was still around. So he comes up. I'm like, wow. (laughs) What do you expect, right? I didn't really have any expectations, but he's surpassed. You know, he's surpassed everything. Um, In the first period, his his uh, save percentage is fantastic. And while he has, you know, had some losses for the team, not necessarily, not all on his shoulders. And he has had some moments where he hasn't looked great. um, He's been more than serviceable, more than serviceable it's been said, and I don't, you know, I'm not really familiar with the various intricacies of uh, playing the goaltending position in hockey. Like I'm not, I've never, I've never put on a goalie mask or pads or anything like that. I've played some hockey, not, not like super competitively, but I've, I've been on the ice a little bit, you know, but I have absolutely never played goalie in any meaningful way. Right. So I have absolutely no idea the kind of, you know, the mental fortitude has to do to step in front of dudes firing 90 mile per hour slap shots at you. But it seems like people were saying, right, that Martin Jones is really good positionally, and it has to do a lot with the discipline that you get for being in the league, you know, seven, 10 plus years doing what you do. And I think that's fair. I think that's a fair thing to say. But they were saying that where the area where he lacks is laterally. So you know, He'll get in position in front of the puck and then a pass over to the side for the one time when he has some struggles getting over there due to, you know, sort of aging, hip mobility, whatever it is. That's not a direct quote from me. That is, you know, people have said that basically verbatim, but I've been I've been impressed. I don't think he's been bad at all. Uh, you know, not towards the bottom of the league by any means. And um you really love to see it. You love to see him step up in that way. You really it's just it's fantastic to see so the next thing I want to talk about in terms of the Leafs is something that's been, you know, excuse my language being shit on very, very frequently in this Matthews Marner era, very frequently, uh, their defense, you know, it's been a revolving door of sorts. It's been a revolving door. I remember. So we were playing side note. We were playing the Islanders, at least the Leafs were, um, couple weeks ago maybe two weeks ago and um i see matt martin on there so i look him up on a hockey reference and apparently matt martin was only with the leafs for like two or three years but i could have sworn it was longer than that and i liked him. i i like i'm sort of old school in the way that you know i obviously penalty minutes detract from your value as a player overall um without factoring in what you did to the, the fear factor of what you did to but that's you know it's sort of an old school mentality but I don't mind the guys who can drop the gloves every once in a while. Maybe a Ryan Reeves is taking it a little bit too far in terms of what value you're extracting from that process. But I like Matt Martin, so it's a surprise to me to see him still on the league uh, on the Islanders because I <laughs> I don't watch Islanders games I didn't know, right? So that, it is what it is. Anyways, um, Morgan Riley. I do want to say about Morgan Riley. So out of everyone on the team right now, he has been the longest tenured. I can say that as a fact because i looked at it recently. Uh, it's it's just been cool to see him develop as a player over my lifetime cuz I will I will add some needed badly needed context when it comes to Morgan Riley just for me personally. I've been watching the Leafs my whole life. My dad is into him. We used to watch back in the day. Uh, still watching now and Morgan Riley has been like their first you know first pairing defenseman as long as I can remember. I'm not sure exactly the exact year when they drafted him. It was sometime in the late 2000s, if not early 2010s, probably early 2010s. But he's been with the team quite a while, and um, since you know he cracked the league pretty like young, I think he's like not even 30 yet. He might be 29. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'll I'll look this up later. I'll look this up later. Um, Sort of detracting from my point. My point being that. I have been watching Morgan Riley defend for a long time and he's not always been fantastic. He's not a, not even always been good. Um there's last season he wasn't, you know, he wasn't particularly. There there was some defensive breakdowns. There were some times that you would have loved to see him step up in a in a, a better way, right? But, you know, you can't take away from what this guy has done. Right? He's still the longest-tenured leaf and he's been he's been s- solid if not if not great, if not great, for the I would go as far as say Morgan Riley is and has been a great defenseman. Has he ever been, you know, the very best in the league? No, but you don't necessarily need that. So with that aside, it gets kind of bleak from there. So where should I start? I'll start with Jake McCabe. So he uh, doesn't really often play with Riley on that defense on that first defensive pairing. I don't know the last time he's done that. Off the top of my head, no idea, but I like his physicality. And, you know, the one of the reasons that, first of all, that they suffered the losses they did, which were not uh, contextually that many last season, the Leafs, but also in the playoffs, they lost to Florida, obviously, and Connor Verhege and Sam Bennett were doing their thing. And that series, particularly with Florida, made it abundantly clear to even the most passive Leafs fan that doesn't really know all that much about hockey, that the Leafs were not physical enough. It's not that they were not playing physical enough. They weren't, but that's besides the point. They didn't really have it in them. Like, obviously, everyone is capable of throwing a check, but they didn't have enough defensive-minded players, enough, you know, great four-checkers, enough people that are going to rush to get on the back check, enough people that like i said aren't afraid to maybe drop the gloves every once in a while and suffer the consequences of their actions that may be necessary to sort of set the tone and be like you know as a team don't don't screw with us right like just take it easy a little bit just play the game because when you don't have someone on your team that can do that or not enough guys in comparison to your opponent you open the door for for lack of a better word sort of getting bullied on the ice right and i i do believe with sam bennett we saw a little bit of that in the florida series and so kyle dubas was out brad tree tree living comes in and he uh i think tyler bertuzzi max domi and john klingberg was uh were his sort of attempt to address that obviously when you you know commit over forty million dollars in cap space to four players—it's gonna be rough, F- you know. Sort of filling those holes with really quality players that are known to be quality before, you know, they sign their contract. Um, but it's a tough position. I can appreciate that. I can absolutely appreciate that, that. It's a tough position to be in as a general manager trying to fill those gaps in 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 the best way possible, in a way that's gonna Im- like indisputably improve upon last year and build on that i I understand that's hard easier said than done however i don't feel those needs were addressed properly because they've shown certainly in the third period of last night's game against the seattle, the seattle kraken they've shown that as a group yes they have the ability and they have the capacity at some times to play excellent defense and to play physically and to you know get dirty it takes some hits dole out some hits sort of endure, they've showed that they've, they showed in that third period that they have that capacity to do that. But if you don't have enough of these guys, and if you, and maybe it's not about the guys themselves, but their willingness to do so, because like I said, everyone that steps on the NHL ice is at least capable of throwing a hit, even if they don't prefer to do so, even if, you know, it hurts more guys to do so than some other guys, everyone is capable of doing so. But, defensive minded players do it in a different way they see the ice the you know their court vision is different so in a sense you know that's what you need more of you need more defensive mindedness as opposed to throw the puck to matthews which he you know maybe not the greatest point because matthews is on pace for almost 70 <laughs> but uh it's got to improve i'll say that it's got to improve and i don't claim to have any hockey coaching expertise it's you know, strategies or anything like anything like that, but it has to improve. And but I do like what I saw in the last game, and I'm sort. I think I, at least I like to think that I'm less of like a fair weather fan when it comes to hockey and baseball as some other guys. Because you know, some other guys, the team will lose and they'll automatically be like trade everyone, right? Which is a human, re- a fairly human reaction. Like I could see that. Like that's fair. Um, but that's you know, it's a knee jerk reaction. So I sort of take time to like, you know, calm myself, right? And remind myself that it's just a game and these guys don't know me. And, you know, going crazy over guys that don't care about you in any sort of way is maybe not the greatest look. Even though there's nothing wrong with mild, you know, fanaticism, if I can put it that way. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I don't know. I, I I just tend to like not get in that sort of mindset. Oh, the Leafs suck. You know, it's never, it's never going to be the year. It's to, like, you know, it's okay to have some hope. It's okay to have some optimism and to understand shortcomings and try you know, identify what the team needs to do to maybe overcome those, those pitfalls. So that's my outlook on the Leafs right now. Uh, we can get into baseball. So um, some context, some context. So, I have not been a lifelong baseball fan. I became a baseball fan in 2015. Uh, the year the Jays pulled off some black magic and in August and September, overtook the Yankees and uh, held on to that lead in the standings and rode it into an ALDS where, you know, obviously Jose Bautista and the infamous Homer which is a very vivid memory of mine baseball wise Um, and then 2016 2017 I also also watched a lot of games on TV after 2017 where the Jays were not you know obviously on a decline and some players I like like Donaldson, uh, Bautista uh, Edwin sort of started to leave my interest dwindled and I didn't watch as much but I do remember Teoscar Hernandez's first game, whether that was 2017 or 2018, I'm not actually sure, but I do remember that. So that's sort of my historical affiliation. And then the 2022 season, I started watching again. Um, took a very keen interest in like statistics and so. And now we stand here in front of the 2024 season, and I do feel like I have a decent grasp—not a not great, but a decent grasp on sort of it like less. You know more, more so advanced statistics than batting average and stuff like that. Which I don't actually. Side note: I don't am not a, like one of these detractors of batting average and one not one of those guys that says you know it's a terrible stat and we should leave it in 1970. I think it's useful for some things, but that's beside the point. Okay. My my point being that um, I like to talk about baseball. I should have just said that instead of rambled. So uh, I did draft a fantasy team already. Um. And my priority, because I always lose in fantasy, whether it's, whether it's like, baseball, whether it's hockey, whether it's basketball, I always lose. I'm at the bottom of the standings. And I don't, like, I don't love that, right? So my goal with this was to, like, be as precise, like, be surgically precise and always make the correct draft pick. So the, I'll, I will list off. I will list off what I ended up with. I am cautiously optimistic so my first pick was Juan Soto I'm gonna go in order from here on out but I just do want to mention that Juan Soto I drafted second uh, Acuna and Soto were one two and the first guy obviously took Acuna a reigning MVP and I took so so the reason why I did that uh as opposed to picking someone say like Cole who I I predict will have a good season maybe not as good as last year but will have a good season in 2024 uh, is because I think I understand pitching a little more than I do hitting and so my logic was that you know let me take this guy who I know like for a sure thing is going to walk a lot is going to not strike out that much is going to hit for power the short right field you know the right field porch in Yankee Stadium probably adding to his power potential um, and Juan Soto's a fun guy. Not that that should factor in at all, but I like him. I like watch. I liked watching him with the Padres. I like watching him, his highlights at least with the Nationals. Not that I really watched that much baseball during those years, but the Padres for sure. Um, so I drafted him first. But uh, this was later. This was later. But my catcher, I took uh, Moreno. Now, I took him over like above slot. He was projected like in the hundred and fifties area, and I took him like. Well, there were still guys on the board like in the 90s. And that's because, you know, there's not a whole lot of catchers that I felt confident about in this draft class. I feel confident about Real Muto that he may have a, you know, a rebound season because he was good in 2022. And then 2023 left something to be desired, I believe. I am fairly confident that he will at least rebound from 2022 if, you know. I'm not saying he's Buster Posey, but the reason why I didn't take him, the reason why I didn't take Kirk, who also looks maybe primed, based on what I've seen on his Instagram, at least looks like he's getting in shape, looks primed for um, progression in terms of, you know, value that he could add to my team. I didn't take him. I didn't take any of these catchers that look promising. I took Moreno because I think that Moreno has a lot lot left a lot left to progress to he's very young i believe he is younger than Vladdy. maybe he's 23 something like that and um he's he has a decent eye good contact for a catcher pretty good speed and he has a fantastic arm defensively he's good he won a gold glove and his uh you know first crack at it basically and Obviously, there's a lot to like with his defense, but I think we're going to start seeing some more power numbers from him. That's what he left to be desired, sort of, in the past, but I believe we're going to start seeing more of that from him. And so that sort of optimism is why I took Moreno higher than maybe other people would have. First base pick, I took Vladi. Now, I had some... Alonso was off early. I wanted, for my first base position, some power. Because power is like sort of one of the more quantifiable things that even like someone who is passively interested in baseball and fantasy baseball would understand and therefore takes people that hit for a lot of home runs because they're flashy and they do obviously add a lot of value to what a player can bring to the table. And my thinking was, you know, a lot of those guys are going to be gone early. People are going to take them over slot because that's all all they might know. Not everyone in the league, obviously, right? But quite a few guys... I would assume, would be sort of adjacent to that line of thinking. So I took Vladdy because, again, I see him as a possible resurgence candidate. Because 2021, as we all know, was an MVP-caliber season, only to be beaten out by Shohei. 2022 was okay. It was okay, not great. Um, for, for his standards, for other player standards, it was a really good season, but... You know, it left a little something to be decided. And then 2023 was, uh I don't want to say a joke because that's mean. And that's not uh, <laughs> journalistically okay to do. <laughs> but it was disappointing. I can say that. It was disappointing what we saw from Vladdy in 2023. And so I think that he understands all this. Obviously, he must. And he's working hard to improve it. And we've seen that he's lost some weight. I don't know if it's like a CC Sabathia thing, where it's been, you know, said by CC Sabathia himself that he performed better when he was heavier because he'd get more power behind that ball. He was a pitcher, not a hitter, but you could make that argument. But I think that speed, a game not necessarily predicated on speed, but just having relative speed as something in your toolbox and base running is very valuable, right? So that was that's my thinking behind Vladdy. Second base, uh, I took, and it's listed on ESPN. He's listed as a second baseman, but also a shortstop, is Nico Horner. I don't know a ton about him, but I liked what I saw from his bat last year. And people are saying that he's good defensively. Um, and he's on a bunch of top 10 lists for second base. I don't, this is a pick that I don't know as much about, and I can't talk as much about, but I like this pick. I like this pick. Now, third base, who I have in at third base and is listed uh, as. Could slot him at third base or first base is Isak Paredes. Now, I don't love the contact. I don't. I you know shoddy at times because I'm not a Tampa Bay Rays fan. But like as a fan of a team that's in their division, obviously I watched a lot of their play. I like the power. Another sort. I think like like sneaky power. Right. He had 30 plus. So that was my thinking there. Shortstop Zuby Swanson. Um, I wanted someone sort of well-rounded. I think Dansby Swanson is well-rounded because I had the power at this point with Soto, Paredes, uh, Guerrero, and anything more than that, you know, is a bonus. I think because as good as the people's teams are who win fantasy, they change. These rosters change drastically. This won't be the roster that I end the year with. So. As far as that, you know, that's 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 what I wanted in a shortstop. I wanted someone well-rounded who isn't the sort of guy that's going to suddenly fall off a cliff and be totally unrecognizable. That was my thinking with Dansby Swanson on the Cubs. Obviously, I talked about Soto. Christian Yellich. Now, hot. it's been a hot topic for years. For years, people have been talking about when is Christian Yellich going to get better. He got better in 2023. Now, was he MVP? No. Was he close? No. He had like 270, something like that. Uh, he would I believe less than 20 homers very basic stats but I'm not going to start talking about you know OPS plus and stuff like that on the first episode of this podcast but I do see some room for improvement that I believe he will fulfill so he's been on an upward trajectory so that that's my hope Uh, my last outfield slot I took Nolan Jones now Nolan Jones sort of flew under a lot of people's radar uh, last year in his you know rookie year because he plays for Colorado and because his power numbers uh in only like a hundred or so games while promising he does play at Coors field but I liked what I saw. The eye test confirmed what I wanted to believe so I took him uh, at a reasonable at a reasonable slot. And then utility I didn't even look at that until like wait like one of the last rounds but I took TJ Friedel that'll probably change. Don't know a ton about him. Uh, in the few games that I did see him play last season, I liked what I saw. So obviously I had a good impression of him from the get-go, but it'll probably end up changing unless he lights the world up. So we'll see. Getting into pitching. So this is where I feel like I cooked. I cooked. So, you know, feel free to message me on Instagram. I'm just going to do a rapid fire, and then I'll talk about all of them more in depth. But feel free to tell me what y'all think about this. Because I think this is like fantastic. Like about as good as you can get. So uh, there's quite a few slots here. Zach Gallen. George Kirby. Logan Webb. Tyler Glasnow. Dylan Cease. Mitch Keller. Johan uh, Duran. Uh, Merrill Kelly. Andres Munoz. Tim Meza. We'll get into Tim Mesa, But, you know, come on. It's hard. It's like it's hard not to feel like I cooked. So let's get into it. So Zach Gallen has been formidable in just consistency and being under four ERA, giving you innings. You know, since his days with the Marlins, like way back when. And it's not like a billion years ago, but he's been consistent, and he's not an old guy or anything like that. And I don't. It doesn't look like he's gonna fall off a cliff. He was fantastic last season. Struck a ton of guys out era was a little bit more than you know you might perceive based on how well he pitched he had a really good season a really good season last year and then in 2022 i also really loved what i saw from him so i think that is a absolute steal of a pick to a pick like fourth or something right and he was projected like low really low compared to what you might think so zach Gallen, george kirby now george kirby hasn't you know Pitched to his ultimate potential i think a lot of people agree with that including him i think there's a lot more left in the tank as far as growth for him but he's already nasty this is another guy that strikes a lot of guys out i like his fastball dude he threw a knuckleball to i, I believe it was uh i believe it was Corey seager or cody bellinger one of the two last season i think in honor of tim wakefield rest in peace tim wakefield by the way um Kirby is absolutely nasty. And I think he's only going to get better. I had I I had a choice between uh, taking him and someone. So my picks were sort of like close to each other since I picked second and it was a snake order. So I had the choice to take him. I had three, basically like three options I was considering. I could take him and a hitter that I wouldn't get a chance the next go around. Or I could take him and Luis Castillo, who I, you know... In terms of statistics, I adore Luis Castillo, okay. Um or I could have taken like both hitters, but I wanted George Kirby and then I believe I also took Guerrero because I was sort of worried about not having that power in my lineup. So that's what I did there. Took George Kirby, love the decision, honestly. Cause as good as Luis Castillo is, I think George Kirby is gonna light the world on fire next season. All right. And then Logan Webb. So let's, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get into it. So, Logan Webb, he is another, I would almost put him in the gallon category as been consistent for years, maybe a little underrated. Uh, you know, he, again, this is a guy that isn't gonna, you know, blow your socks off with 102, but fantastic. Still fantastic. Still generates a weak contact, still strike guys out when he needs to. Uh, Patrick Bailey, I believe, calls a great game down there when he catches for Logan Webb, and so I'm I, I love this pick as well, and I think having th- like three of those guys of that caliber of that consistency on the same like roster is pretty good, is p- pretty good. So Tyler Glasnow is the, where the first question mark on this. Those first three guys, forget it. Tyler Glasnow is a question mark, not because of his stuff. His stuff is undeniable his rate metrics are undeniable. All of this stuff you can't even it's not even a question. It's not it's it's not a question. The only question is his health, his durability cuz he hasn't pitched like a full like a full 32. Worrying, yes, but it was with the Rays. Now, the Rays are known for their pitching prowess in terms of first of all talent on the roster, but coaching and development and pulling these guys out of the minors and succeeding, but they often get injured after and during, but mostly during. So the Dodgers, while they obviously also have injured starting pitchers, a change of scenery might be a good thing. A change of habit, right? Maybe maybe there's some unhealthy things for his arm that he was doing that they are now addressing. We'll see. I, I believe a change for this sort of guy is good. I don't think he's gonna throw 200 innings, but I think he's gonna throw more than he did last season. That's why I took him. But like I said, the talent is just the raw talent is not even in question. Like if this guy pitched 200 innings, and was, you know, at his best for 150, 160 of them, Cy Young candidate. He's like, like no one would argue with that easily. Dylan Cease. Now, Dylan Cease had a pretty not great season in 2023 but he was fantastic the year before uh he still strikes a lot of guys out just the walks the walks are an issue for him fastballs down the middle have been an issue for him not always but sometimes and so i think this is a you know a guy that's going to improve because this is another guy like when he is on when he's dealing and over a very optimistic you know full 32 30 starts whatever it is of him being on his game Cy young candidate and no one would question it so he's in the Glasnow category Mitch Keller now Mitch Keller his season flew under the radar again because he's been you know in previous years he's been their big starting pitching hope the Pirates um, but not sort of living up to that but then last year leaps and bounds leaps and bounds pitched to I think a, f- a four ERA give or take a little bit um, f- which for a young guy Throwing a lot of innings on a bad team with not great defense, uh, aside from Ke'Bryan Hayes and some of the guys in the outfield, Brian Reynolds is decent. Other than that, you know, it's it's nothing to scoff at, and I believe he will take another substantial step forward. Um, And even if he doesn't, a four ERA works. It works for one of your lower guys in the rotation. It works. Uh, Duran from Minnesota now struggles. At times. There's times when he struggles. There's no reliever other than like that magical twenty fifteen run Zach Britton was on. Other than that. There's no time there's no season that a reliever can have where they don't struggle at times. They can still be Stellar. It can be a Trevor Hoffman, Mariano Rivera. They can struggle they're gonna struggle at times. But Duran is so good. His stuff is so good that when he struggles, you still don't know. Like if if anything is if anyone is even gonna get on base like his stuff is that good if he is sort of wishy-washy with his command it's still not a guarantee that everything is going to blow up not even close right so there, sometimes there's problems but sometimes he's like prime rivera so you never know you really never know but overall fantastic fantastic reliever one of the best in the league that uh last year and so that's why you know i wasn't aiming to pick many relievers, but I couldn't pass it up. I couldn't pass it up. Another guy I couldn't pass up is Merrill Kelly. Now, the main question with him is age. When is he going to fall off? Like Zach Gallen, who's also his teammate, uh, Merrill Kelly is consistent. He is consistent. He consistently puts up respectable numbers in terms of rate metrics, (coughs) excuse me, and in terms of innings. And that's something I value. And so I picked him. Uh, a little earlier than some other people might have yes like uh Moreno like Gabriel Moreno who's also his teammate <laughs> but uh I don't see any reason why he would have a substantially worse season than he did last year and he did very good last year so there's that Andres Munoz fastball next Tim Mesa uh so Tim Mesa's season I think really flew over a lot of people's heads he had a, a ERA in the neighborhood of 150, which yes, he's a lefty specialist for the most part, but his sinker is a great pitch. It's a great pitch, and he limited a hard contact. He limited any contact really. Good at weak contact. He struck guys out at a at a okay rate for a lefty specialist reliever with two pitches and. You know, he's, it's not like that's his only good season. He's been good f- since, like, 2020. So there's no reason in my mind why this guy would be, sub- again, like Merrick Kelly. There's no reason I can think of that. He would be substantially worse. And therefore, even if he is a little worse, it's still fantastic and better than most of the guys available on the board in later rounds. So that is why I took Tim Meza, because I know about him and other people may not, is basically... Uh, my voice is getting a little, a little, uh, (laughs) painful, um, so I'm not going to go into the various stuff we need to talk about for the Blue Jays baseball. I may make another episode on that in the coming days, but you can look forward to focused content for me, exploring issues and stories and various topics that I find interesting and that I think I could turn into interesting, an interesting listening experience for you. And that is my pledge to you as a listener, and uh, I also am working on uh, addressing things, like I said earlier on the podcast, addressing things that I didn't address the last time uh, I had a podcast. So those are all things that we're working on, and uh, I hope to see you tuning into our next episode. Thank you.